0: The Appendix and Podcast, Episode 37, The Mathematics of Magic by L. Sprague de Kamp and Fletcher Pratt. Welcome to the Appendix and Podcast. My name is Jeffrey Wynn, and I am your host. This is the show where we discuss the stories and novels that influenced Gary Gygax, one of the creators of Dungeons and Dragons. In the original Dungeon Masters Guide, Gary Gygax laid out a list of twenty or so authors that he said his primary influences, and that list is called Appendix N. Tonight we are talking about two tales of the adventures of Harold Shea by L. Sprague de Kamp and Fletcher Pratt. Uh, these stories are The Roaring Trumpet and The Mathematics of Magic. We've discussed uh, L. Sprague de Kamp before on this show, and I've given his, his biography, but this is the first time we're talking about Mr. Pratt, so let me briefly run down uh, the story of his life as I know it. Murray Fletcher Pratt was born April 25, 1897, in Buffalo, New York, and he passed away on June 10, 1956, at the age of 59, uh, making him about uh, 10 years older than uh, L. Sprague de Camp. Uh, American writer of science fiction and fantasy, he is best known for his works on naval history and the American Civil War, as well as his collaborations on fiction with Mr. de Camp. He attended Hobart College and wrote for various magazines before he got his start in fiction. Uh, he is also the creator of the Fletcher Pratt Naval War Game, a set of rules for naval war gaming involving tiny wooden ships published prior to World War II. So he is he is deeply connected to uh, Dungeons & Dragons, being being part of the very same community that Uh, Gary Gygax uh, sprung out of the the naval wargaming community. And uh, before we get to uh, our discussion, uh, let's have a word from our sponsor. Hello,
1: honey. It's so nice to see you. Happy holidays. It's great. It's great. I just wanted to say I went to OpenGamingStore.com to get all of your gifts this year. It was great. They had PDFs. I had them mail them to you electronically. And then they had all kinds of hardcover products and, and softcover, you know, full print products that I got for you as well. They were great. Now, granted, there were skeletons and demons and superheroes and all kinds of science fiction aliens all over them? I don't really know what I'm getting you, honey. I hope that everything is okay. I hope, I hope that you're not into that devil worship. But anyway, I just wanted to let you know OpenGamingStore.com, they've got great deals. They've got so many bundles. It's amazing. I was saving a bunch. I almost didn't even care that I didn't know what I was buying you. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know OpenGamingStore.com also has accessories. You can get all kinds of stuff. Maybe buy some onesies for those grandchildren you haven't given to me yet. Anyway, OpenGamingStore.com. Make sure you check them
0: out. And uh, with me tonight, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff.
2: Hey, always happy to be here.
0: And joining us once again is Chris Constantine.
2: Always a pleasure, guys. Let's have some fun.
0: All right, welcome back to the show, Chris. All right, so uh, as I said at the top of the show, uh, tonight we are talking about uh, two stories. Uh, First is The Roaring Trumpet, published in Unknown of May 1940. And the second is The Mathematics of Magic, also published in Unknown in August 1940. Uh, Both stories were later published in book form in The Incomplete Enchanter in 1941 by Henry Holt and Company, and later went on to appear in other collections featuring the adventures of Harold Shea, such as Confusingly, The Complete Enchanter, The Incomplete Enchanter, The Complete Complete Enchanter, and finally in 2007 simply the mathematics of magic. What did you guys think of these, uh, these, uh, stories? Let's start with Jeff. Eh,
3: That's my response. Basically. Um, I did not dislike these stories. I didn't enjoy them as much as I was hoping to.
0: Hmm.
3: Um, but they certainly weren't a, they weren't painful to read by any stretch of the imagination. Chris, what yeah, did you think?
2: I, I'd have to say I was in a similar boat. Uh, I enjoyed some of the concepts. I enjoyed some of the ideas. I'm trying to figure out whether or not it's because it's been there, done that, or whether, kind of like the John Carter Syndrome, where you have a material uh-huh. that feels uh-huh. rehashed, and then you realize it's probably one of the original sources. You know, where they got the rehashing model to from? To get from. Like, the first story was a bit better than the second one, as far as I could tell. Like, I like the Nordic mythology. Uh-huh. It's really entailed in this thing, whereas... I swear to you, the guy likes his, uh, what is it? Uh, Alliteration. When you're heard about the besting beast in the second story.
0: Well, uh, I think, I think you can blame, uh, Spencer for, for the, for the, for the beast. Um, so wow, that, that that was not the reaction I was hoping for because I I really uh, in, enjoyed these stories uh, so much that when I was originally when I was originally listening to them back in back in last last fall, uh, I I went on and listened to the to the Iron Fortress and 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 some some of the of the later stuff. So, um, oh,
3: but by all means, uh, I, I invite you to sell me on them. Yeah. I I didn't get a. A particularly like a like a negative reaction. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I just didn't really get a sense of. I didn't really I didn't really care about what was going on in a way that uh-huh. kind of surprised me. Um, there's a certain level of detachment from the from the whole situation, which kind of reminds me actually of my reaction to le- uh, less darkness fall. Huh
0: well it's 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 got that it's got that breezy s- style that uh, that less darkness fall had um, i'm not I'm not quite sure what uh, Fletcher Pratt brings to the table because his his Wikipedia entry also says that he has a very distinctive style um, so yeah uh, but yeah I, I just find found it, found it to be a fun uh, rollicking adventure i I enjoyed the characters. Um, I, I'll admit that on my initial uh, listening, I, I also found the Roaring Trumpet to be pretty boring, just because I wasn't, I wasn't into the, to the whole uh, Norse thing. But on my second listen through, I, I enjoyed it more. But uh, I, I really enjoyed uh, the the mathematics of magic, which is which is the longer tale, um, when we when we get into the into the. Interactions between uh, Harold and 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 Reed Reed uh, Chalmers, and we and we meet some of the, some of the fighting uh, ladies, uh, Lady Br- Br- uh, Britomart the Knight, and uh, Belle Phoebe, who's basically a, a ranger. Um, and I just I just found the whole thing like I I enjoyed the comedy bits. I, I thought they were funny. Um, I thought I thought I thought every character had uh, just enough personality uh read chalmers especially on on this listen through reminded me a lot of uh, victor garber's character um uh professor professor stein on the on the legends of of, of tomorrow show
3: oh um, i can see that
0: yeah
2: yeah, yeah same here yeah, yeah i mean maybe
0: yeah. it's because i was listening to the to the audiobook and i i, I always listen on uh one and a half speed because otherwise it's, it's just way 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 too too slow um, so maybe it was it was an it was a narrator's uh, way of reading it and and giving voices to each of the characters that really sold me. But um, yeah, I was I was into it.
3: I think I might have gone into it with expectations that were too high. Um, Sprague de Camp is one of those uh, masters of twentieth century sci fi fantasy whom I had prior to this had not been very familiar with. And, uh, so I was hoping for something in the, in the vein of, you know, Robert E. Howard at his best or H.P. Lovecraft at his best or J.R.R. R. Tolkien at his best. And what, what we get here is instead perfectly serviceable commercial fiction. Uh, it's, it does a fine job of, of being what it sets out to be. Mm-hmm. And, um. I was just a little disappointed that it what that uh, it, it didn't turn out to be something something mm-hmm. a little bit more.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe maybe it's it's just that it's 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 just the 1940s style of, of 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 writing that that are that that slightly archaic way of way of speaking that that kind of uh tra- tra- trans transported me it, it reminded me of of a lot of the old sitcoms that I that I used to watch on on Nick at night although those those were from 20 30 years later. Yeah.
3: Uh, I mean, I when I was in like high school, junior high school, I really enjoyed Asimov and Heinlein mm-hmm. and they were certainly contemporaries of Sprague de Camp and uh, Fletcher Pratt. And it's entirely possible that if I had if I had read this story or these stories back then, I would have a, have a very different response than coming to it at at this stage of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think I think there's there's a lot we can we can see a lot of the influence on D and D in these stories. To start with, the the premise here is that we, we have men of of science from, from our world trying to apply scientific rules to magic. That's that's how this whole thing s- starts. Um, and you can argue when when we play Dungeons and Dr- Dungeons and Dragons, we are we are logical people from the modern world who are transporting ourselves. Uh, into these uh, fantasy worlds, and you know, through the through the rules of the of of the game, and and through our striving for internal consistency, we we also attempt to apply uh, modern scientific rules and and logic to these to these fantastic worlds. Uh, and beyond that, I mean, in the first story, we get uh, we get Norse mythology, which is all over D and D. Yeah, and in yeah. the second story, we get to see you know wizards acting very much like like i think greyhawk wizards you know they've i mean they're they're summoning imps and they're like we 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 even have uh we even have big big hands at 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 one at one point um
3: yeah well i mean part of um the roaring trumpet i think takes place basically in the setting of the hill giant chief right
0: that is correct uh it is specifically it is it is inspired by let's see it's inspired by Thor's uh, expedition to Jotunheim, as told in the Gilfagining section of Snorri Sturluson's Prose Edda, and it also draws from the uh, Volva's prophecy regarding Ragnarok in the poem Volspa, preserved in the Poetic Edda. So, that- yeah,
3: so yeah, so in The Roaring Trumpet, he goes to the Prose Edda, and then in The Mathematics of Magic, he goes to uh Spencer's the fairy queen. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's let's break these stories down and let let's let's dive into The Roaring Trumpet. Um so it 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 opens with our our hero Harold Shay uh, and his his colleagues who includes uh, Reed uh, Chalmers and uh, and uh, the the nurse with the unfortunate name of is it is it Gladys Gladys Moogler? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I guess, I guess whether whether or not uh, you're 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 going to enjoy uh, these folks' style of humor is whether or not you laugh at the name uh, Gladys Moogler, and I did. Um, Gertrude Mugler. Gertrude, Gertrude Moogler, yes. Uh, I don't know. The, her her introduction sort of reminded me of a of a Douglas Adams sentence. It was it was just a very matter of fact run on run on sentence. But, anyways, I digress. Uh, We we open with our hero, uh, Harold Shea, and he's with his colleagues, and uh, much like in uh, Less Darkness Fall, we're suddenly introduced to this radical new theory that this scientist has come up with, seemingly out of nowhere, uh, that um, there are other worlds, and he's devised uh, laws that that apply to them. I think... um, What are what are the two laws that 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 we learn here? The law of similarity, I think, is is, is one.
3: It's the other one's contagion, but I don't think he uses the word contagion. Um, Says something else instead.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's
3: Um, it's but yeah, it's contagion and similarity. mm -hmm.
0: Yep. And uh, yeah, so so Reed Reed Chalmers just announces that he thinks that um, psychosis basically stems from uh, people's minds uh, touching other worlds and being out of phase with this world. You know, so I'm I'm sure I'm sure that's a sound hypothesis. I'm sure you know he did extensive amounts of research to to come to that uh, c- uh, conclusion. Uh, who are we to argue with the distinguished Reed, uh Chalmers?
3: And, and okay. somehow from that he has derived the notion that if you spend enough time thinking about symbolic logic, you will bodily travel to other dimensions.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, it just makes sense, Jeff. Yeah, like it feels almost like a hyperextension
2: of what happened with John Carter, but instead of just dreaming, he used science in order to get over to the next dimension. I mean it's or dimensional pocket or what have you.
0: It's 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 more thought than we got in Less Darkness Fall, where the scientist in that book was, Hey, sometimes these people disappear and what's really happening is they're traveling through time, and then our hero disappears because he's like traveling. five minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I mean, at so least
3: at least they're consistent uh in that you know step one, deliver the conceit. Step two, the conceit happens, you know, your inter your time travel or whatever goes off uh immediately afterwards.
0: But at 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 least Harold Shea uh is given some char- some characterization and some some uh motive here. Uh, yes,
3: yes. He is he's a guy badly in need of a vacation. Mm-hmm, basically. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah, and he he deliberately uh, tries to use uh, Chalmers' uh, equations or or whatever uh, to to travel to the to the other world. Now, did did either of you have have the print book?
2: I yeah, I have a print copy right in front of me here. So yeah,
0: in, in the in the audio book, uh, it was it was just a a confusing series of mathematical terms. What did did they actually like print out the equation? No, they kind
2: of just glossed over it for the most part. Uh i really seeing any place that actually breaks it down. Oh, wait, no. If either P or Q is true or P or Q is true, then either P or Q is true or P or R as well. So they do use a bit of elementary logic to help mm-hmm. set up the thing, I guess. All right, so apparently if you yeah. if you
0: chant that uh, enough times, uh, you get transported to an- another world. Uh, and so Harold is trying to go to the world of Irish folklore, but he ends up uh, in the world of Norse mythology. Um. For, for which he is sadly unprepared, because the first person he meets is is Odin, and if you know the first thing about Norse mythology, as soon as this guy turns around and you see he's got one eye, and he's friends with crows, you're like, this is Odin. But Harold has no idea who this guy is, and he starts he starts mouthing off to him, and it 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 uh, doesn't go go so well.
3: It's it's interesting, and I think this is actually. To my mind this is the most interesting thing about both of these stories is that he doesn't just go to a generic fantasy world that is inspired by Norse mythology um, he doesn't go to like somebody's Dungeons and Dragons homebrew world that is that mm-hmm. is inspired by a great deal of, he goes into the prose Edda right he's interacting with those characters and um, when things happen that don 't ha- make a lot of sense both in um, in this and in to to a greater degree, I think in the mathematics of magic uh-huh. um, it happens a- that way because that is the way that it is in the story yep. there 's a set of laws of narrative convention that justify things that otherwise make no sense and this is this is again especially true in the mathematics of magic. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is such a terrific cheat um, from the perspective of of a writer, right? You can just say, "Well, that's that." It it is that way in the story because it is that way in the story, and it's really it kind of amazing that Dungeons and Dragons, for all the things that it took from these stories, did not take that conceit. Because I can't imagine a more useful tool for a game master.
0: Right. right? I think. I think a uh, lot of. I thought. I think a, a lot of later story. Uh, based games you use that sort of sort of i i idea yeah but but it's a but it's an idea that gary gygax
3: from i'm led to understand like explicitly rejected and really disliked the um the idea that things happened in the game because they happened that way in a story in favor of like you know meticulous timekeeping and explaining the ecology of the dungeon that there was some kind of phosphorescent moss that. Um, you know, snails ate and then something ate the snails. And then the I'm Displacer pretty,
0: Beast
3: pretty sure. <laughs> came to be here. And you can read all about it in the ecology <laughs> of the Displacer Beast in Dragon Magazine.
0: I'm pretty sure that kind of stuff came about because his players kept asking uh, annoying questions instead of just going with it. Um, right. But then instead of
3: answering them by saying, because it's a story, um, he, he had to come up with, so he felt he had to come up with some kind of rationalization or he, or he chose to come up with some kind mm-hmm. of rationalization. Um, and who's, who's to say I, I, I'm yeah. just I'm imagining the other the other path that Dungeons and Dragons could have gone down mm-hmm. and introduced all of those uh sort of story-gamey narrative narrative focused um ways of looking at it that uh, that instead, you know, cropped up like, you know, 20 30 years later. But I think yeah. I
0: think Jeff the 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 idea here is that is that in each of these worlds uh the the laws of physics as we know them are are different so we we perceive them as just quirks of of the narrative but but they there there are actual laws which Harold and and Reed could theoretically d- discover and make their own version of science in that in, in that world is is
3: well there there is a bit in the mathematics of magic where they are on their way somewhere and they have a what amounts to a random encounter and yes. uh, He thanks to himself, well, you know, whenever you're going somewhere in one of these stories, you have exactly one random encounter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what, what were you, you, you going to say, Chris? Well, here's
2: what the really neat thing about the premise feels like. It feels like it's a one part retreading old ground and one part basically using similar narratives like the vibe I got from it was actually from the D&D cartoon of all things, because you got these people being projected into a world they're totally unprepared for.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Even though I will give Harold Shade credit for, he came in with a Boy Scout manual, he has a, you know, a stainless steel knife, and he actually is kind of prepared. The problem is, they don't apply. So when he basically humiliates himself by trying to start a fire, it's low-key of all people, usually associated with some of the darker aspects, is the one that saves his bacon.
0: You know? Yeah, this is this is something that I I, I didn't quite like, and it, it it seems to have crept into into fantasy fiction that somehow uh, science and magic are anathema to each other, and when you're in a magic world, science doesn't work. But then, like, the matches should still light because they're still like friction is still a thing, you know, like yeah. like the basic building blocks of fire are still like the fire works the same.
3: It's still mm-hmm. the case that if you throw a ball it will travel in a parabolic arc.
0: Right. But you know, somehow he his his stainless steel knife is is rusting and matches don't don't work because that's those are things that did not exist in the prose Edda. Um it 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 makes more sense that he that he can't read English cuz his his mind I mean the 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 whole premise of this is that his mind is is on a different wavelength and he's he's perceiving this, this world. And so he's traveling to, to this world. Um, So that, that makes more sense, but, but the match is not working and the, and the knife, you know, uh, rusting, Um, you know, this, this idea, uh, you know, eventually made its its way into, into mage, uh, the Ascension. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Um, I just don't, don't particularly care for it, but what, whatever. Yeah, so there was
3: a there was a I think it was made for TV uh, movie called Flight of the Dragons, which was basically this same premise. Uh, it was animated. Uh, I watched it a bunch of times when I was a kid, and it starred, as I recall, John Ritter as a bookstore owner who traveled to a magical land, had to deal with a bunch of dragons, and ultimately defeated the evil wizard by reciting his own magical formula which was like the Pythagorean theorem and Newton's <laughs> laws of motion and so on and the evil wizard was like no not thermodynamics and melted
2: <laughs> that sounds
0: surprisingly awesome
3: yeah it was it was terrific like I said I saw it a bunch when I was a kid and it's unjustly forgotten today
0: yeah I don't like I said I don't I don't know where this idea comes from it, it... Just doesn't resonate with me, but I guess if you're a fan of, of of the mage game from from White Wolf and the way things work there, then then this is for you.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I'm actually kind of glad that this is one of the things that D&D didn't pull over, because as much as people grumble about, you know, the magical technology bent, for the first part of D and D, there really was no line because a lot of Blackmore stuff had a lot of the really cool weird technology. Mm-hmm side by side with the magic, and nobody really batted an eye until after Expedition of the Barrier Peaks, where they started going for a more purist fiction type. Yeah, I, would, I would say that
3: it's of a piece with the rejection of firearms, in yes. fact. The idea that guns, specifically guns, are so transformative to the setting that you, they can't be allowed.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Alright, so Maybe. I mean, so as uh, aside from from that I th- you know I thought the the adventure it, it itself was 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 fun it was in enjoyable uh, he so uh, Harold goes on and he he gets to meet uh, most of the Norse uh, pantheon and it 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 uh, he he finds out that uh, we're basically only a few days from from uh, uh, Ragnarok um, and so he he pals around with with Odin and Thor and Loki and Heimdall, uh, who are more like ad- adventurers in this tale than than actual uh, gods. They 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 remind me of Thor's uh, companions in the in the Marvel uh, comics.
2: Oh, you mean like the the Warriors Three?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they 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 act more like more like those guys than than the than the D and D gods that were that were. Used to, although you 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 still don't don't want to cross them because they're because they're pretty powerful, uh, and we we go to a to a hall of uh, frost giants and there's uh, illusion magic going on and they get they get put in prison and they have to have to um, trick their their way out by um, uh, Harold casts his his first real spell by by making a a a, 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 a troll's nose melt I think.
2: I liked Snog. He was actually kind of a fun character. Mm-hmm. You know, like he really he was uh, on the he kinda almost was won over to have been part of the story because of that. Because mm-hmm. he lived out through his bargain. Like I liked,
0: I liked the guy who kept yelling Ingve is a louse. I wanna find out who that who that Ingve is. That's the that's <laughs> the untold story that was never published. The story of 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 Ingve, the louse.
2: Well, Sounds like for future material, that's for sure. And, uh,
0: well, oh, I kind of liked how there was that
2: little bit of interplay. Like, I actually, like, as you found the strongest scene to be the part with Odin, I found the strongest one when they were trying to haggle their way out of jail
0: mm-hmm.
2: with the whole troll jailer there in order to do so. And it's because, I don't know why it works, but it does because magic, I guess, in this situation here. And it almost makes me wonder if, well, one of the reasons why he shrunk the nose and why D&D trolls have such long noses is maybe because of this.
0: Oh, I think, I think trolls have big big noses in uh, Norse mythology yeah. anyway, because... Yeah,
2: and I think they're probably a little bit more ogre-like than in, you know, the more D&D one, which I think was inspired by Three Hearts and Three Lions, ultimately.
0: Could be. I think, I think we'll be getting to that in 2017.
3: Yeah, well, these trolls seem to have, uh, like, Bronx accents, too.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, kind of yeah. It, it it it's weird because like all the I, th- I thought like all the all the frost giants and the trolls talked like like nineteen thir- th- like nineteen thirties gangsters, like as you know as what? portrayed on like fifties TV shows.
2: Well, again, well, like after reading Lest Darkness*, how the mob came in to rescue him, This feels almost like that same Annalee. Only the difference is they're bu- they're a bunch of green monsters. Or,
3: well, you know, in *The Hobbit*, the three trolls that. Uh... Gandalf outwits. Speak with Cockney, mm-hmm. Cockney accents.
0: Any any thoughts on like how so like, like like how Harold makes his how how Harold makes the spell to, to make the trolls' nose uh, shrink? Because he he basically theorizes that he's basically using his knowledge as a psy- psychiatrist. That's where his laws of magic spring from. And he, I think he figures if he gets a bunch of, if he if he recites some some gobbledygook that that has to do with uh, shrinking, he can basically psychologically trick the troll into thinking his nose is shrinking. I am not sure what so, the thought process. Was.
3: <clears throat> so my, I this was actually something that I did not like quite so much because, as you say, this is this is Harold using his. Um, psychology knowledge, but it's also psychology knowledge that could be pretty much completely conveyed in a couple of paragraphs of breezy text um, about some psychologists talking in a story that is not mostly about psychologists talking. Yep. So it was some really—it's some really elementary and simple stuff, which works really well for Harold. Um, I get the sense that magic. Basically, I, I felt like in this in in both of these stories that magic was too easy. Hmm. Yeah, uh, it, only it's, that, there there's was... a little more complexity to it in the in the second story, but it it still seems very simple. It's not clear to me why Harold is using magic, and you know Loki is not just using magic constantly all over the place to accomplish all of Loki's goals. Because yeah, surely Loki is smart enough to have figured out. These very simple principles that you can articulate in a couple of sentences. I mean, if I can explain it to you completely in five seconds' time, I don't think that it's it's all that complicated, really.
0: Oh, I, so, think, again, I think it's the same. Cool. It's the same reason that, uh, like Doc Brown, can build a time machine in in his you know garage. Well, oh, Doc yeah, Brown those spent thirty years working on it. Well, Reed Chalmers spent 30 years working on his theory. Maybe I don't. I don't and know. Then he
3: explained it to Harold in like five seconds.
0: <laughs> yeah. But
2: as for the phrase itself, let wizards and warlocks combine and conspire to make Snow- Snog's nose melt like wax on his this fire. It's kind of poetic. Kind of fun.
0: I mean, I can I can explain the flux the the flux capacitor in less than five seconds. It's it's what makes time travel possible.
2: Yeah. I think, I think that's
0: literally the explanation so, that we get in, in des- the movie. That's a
3: description, though, my man. It's not an explanation. How yeah. does it make time travel possible? Explain it to me. Five, four, three. I'm not hearing anything. Two. You can't do it.
0: <laughs> oh, you can't do it. Snap.
3: You can't do
0: it. Uh, you've defeated me. Uh, lightning and 88 miles an hour. Um <laughs> naturally, when you combine those two things, you get time travel, Jeff. It's just elementary science.
2: And you don't even need to build it to scale. All
0: right. <laughs> well, now, see
3: the now see, the frightening thing is now that we've had this conversation, sometime in the next five minutes, one of us is going to
2: time travel. <laughs> uh, been there, done that. We're all traveling one minute at a time.
0: I just, I, I just have to concentrate on the principles of time travel and chant uh, mathematical formulas. Okay, Anyhoo. so... uh the the story ends with Harold being suddenly thrown back into his world when um they're they're facing off against an enemy wizard. I I forget who it who it even is, but but the wizard shouts something about I want you to go back to the place you came from and Harold just ends up uh, back in his living room where he finds out he's been missing for a, a couple of days and all his friends have hired a de- detective to go to go find him because they're, they're 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 good friends and they're and they're worried about him. It's
3: really touching that they're concerned
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't
3: mean that as sarcastically as it probably sounded, well, oh, dude, uh, Harold Harold has a a nice support structure around him,
0: yeah, yeah he should he should really but, ask that uh, Gertrude Moogler out on a date because uh, she has him all figured out. anyways, this is
3: something that actually kind of confused me is because when at the very beginning of this story, um, you know, with the way Gertrude is introduced, there's like uh, the narrator is saying, you know, there were some people and uh, three of them were men and the men were average looking and then there was Gertrude who was tawny and blonde and these are all descriptors that I associate with attractiveness and then in the following scene you have, you know, Harold's friends kind of needling him a little bit in a, in a quite friendly way and Gertrude, uh, for her part, is like sticking up for him and then for like the entire rest of the book every time harold thinks about gertrude it's about how he does not really care for gertrude and <laughs> yeah. there's it, it just those two pieces did not hook together for me i didn't read that initial scene thinking that i was reading about a about a woman that harold had no business being into uh, or had or had no reason to be into and um and yet that's what what we were we were expecting? It's so it's again not entirely unlike Less Darkness Fall and mm-hmm. uh, Harold's treatment of uh, not Her- the guy in Le- Less Darkness's Fall. Uh, his uh, his treatment of his maid.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think I think um, I think maybe Gertrude is just too ordinary for for Harold. He wants he wants ad- adventure. He wants excitement. He wants uh, a, a dream girl from another world. Uh, and he, as he
3: he is all excited about the idea of some like pre-Raphaelite um, ethereal. Irish girl.
0: Yeah, and yeah. As, as you find out in the Roaring Trumpet, uh, he, he does not like blondes. He, he prefers uh, red, redheads. Um,
3: this may just be an area where like social mores have changed too much since 19, uh,
0: 1940. Could be. Yeah, could be. Because it
2: feels like if this was a noir... That Gertrude would be playing a lot more prominent a role, kind of like in most storytelling, kind of like the idea that she'd be the sexy female protagonist, even if she didn't do a hell of a lot. If it was more like a thirty-story.
3: Mm. Yeah, it's it's a really small part of the story. Um, yeah, there, this this is not a story about a. If I was listing off Harold's attributes, his disinterest in Gertrude would not be one of yeah. the first things that I came up with. Well, we're, right, so. we're we're introduced first, to like
0: a whole bunch of people in that in that first scene, and it 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 kind of felt like. Uh, De decomp and Pratt knew that they were going to make a series out of this. and so they they just wanted to have all these characters around for you know just just to use uh, later. and in the later stories, uh, you know we you know Reed Reed Chalmers goes goes adventuring with with Harold and in um the iron Iron fortress, which which I read, I think uh, more of his colleagues, but not Gertrude, uh, sadly get get in involved in the interdimensional travel. so. I mean, all all I can say is uh, Harold's uh, Harold does not share my 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 taste in 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 women. I would be quite happy with the tall, uh, st- st- statuesque uh, blondes who can uh, wrestle bears from the from the Prozeta,
3: and who you know are interested in you and supportive of your goals, and you know don't appreciate it when your friends make fun of you for
2: dressing funny because you're taking horse riding lessons.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not a jerk like like Harold is, so.
2: Yeah, but again, like you said, the Roaring Trumpet feels like a prequel story, mm-hmm. kind of an attempt to lay down the groundwork for future stories, because it's setting up the formula. And I guess he's trying to go fairly simple to begin with by using a base story. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Well, let's let's get into the. I can, I can the, buy that. Let's get into to the mathematics of magic, um, which picks up right where the Roaring Trumpet left off, which which makes sense because it it came out in Unknown only a few months later. Uh, Harold has gone out for a steak dinner because he's very hungry. Apparently, adventuring uh, you you work up a massive appetite. So he eats uh, three steaks and a, an entire apple pie while telling Reed Chalmers and Gertrude Moogler and his his other uh, companions uh, all about his ad- adventures, uh, which they only kind of so, sort of believe. Uh, Reed Chalmers believes him, of course, because he came up with um, the the. Uh, formulas, and they all saw, saw saw him appear out of thin air in 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 his his room. So, yeah, so
3: clearly something is up. Yeah,
0: clearly, clearly some, yeah. something's up. Um, and so uh, Reed Reed Chalmers is is kind of feeling the same sort of ennui that, that that Harold is, maybe not the same thing, but he's he's he feels like he's uh, reached the pinnacle of his uh, scientific career. He's discovered uh, something that, that no one else has discovered before, but he can't really prove it to anyone uh, unless he takes people with him to these other other worlds. Uh, and so, in, in in face of face of that, uh, he feels like he would rather live out the rest of his days, I guess, going on ad, adventures and testing his theories uh, rather than rather than live in the the real world. Uh, so he decides to go with Harold to the world of Spencer's uh, *Fairy Queen*, and I guess I guess he is refined. Uh, they've they've refined their travel methods, I guess, so that so they actually end up where they intended. Um, now I've never read *The Fairy Queen*. Have Have either of you read *The The Fairy Queen*?
3: I have not read *The Fairy Queen*, and after reading *The Math of uh, Mathematics of Magic*, I was inspired to seek out *The Fairy Queen*, and I discovered that basically nobody reads the fairy queen because the fairy queen is super impenetrable and very long and i don't feel like i've missed anything for not reading it um also it's basically like la mort d'arthur fan fiction um so the mathematics of magic is fan fiction of fan fiction of fan fiction (laughs) (laughs) nice um, since it's all coming down from the medieval like uh, French romances.
0: Man, there's, just, there's uh, just no original ideas anymore.
3: But the, the world of the Fairy Queen is one that was immensely familiar to me um, based on my readings of La Mort d'Arthur. You have your knights who are going on strange adventures, you have your um, wicked spellcasters, and you have people just kind of randomly meeting other people and fighting them and monsters and that's uh that's the arthurian uh world according to sir thomas mallory like to a t well
0: from from my brief uh perusal of wikipedia it it seems like the fairy queen was never never finished and and some of what's what's going on in this adventure is is uh, harold and reed basically finishing the unfinished story of of the fairy queen um they they show up outside of this castle. Is it is it Queen Gloriana's castle or something? Mm, yeah. Queen Gloriana's. Yep, and uh, Castle Saturday, I think. Right, and there's there's rules about who who can go in and who can't go in. I think like ladies can can come in and guys can can, can come in only if they have a have a lady. Which um, is
3: lifted directly from Book Two of Lord Darthur. Yeah, for for what it's worth. Okay. The. Uh... Okay. The story of the idiot knight.
0: Jeff, you are you are our uh, subject matter expert for this uh, for this segment here. Uh, oh,
3: it's a beautiful dream come true.
0: <laughs> Yay! So uh, we're we're introduced to uh, Lady Britomart, uh, who is who is a lady knight uh, traveling with uh, some other lady. Uh, who who she's um, they're uh, they're not lesbians. Uh, she, she apparently she's agreed to guard this lady's virtue while, uh, this lady's, uh, gentleman is, is captured or imprisoned somewhere, um, in the, in the 21st century, they would, they would be, uh, they would be Im- implied lovers at the, at, at the very least, but, uh, here there's nothing like that, that going on, sadly, um, but, uh, I, I kind of like, uh, Lady, Lady Britomart, uh,
3: yeah yeah but th- it's you're, you're i think you're correct there is not even an implied uh homosexual sub- like subtext
0: yes i'm 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 writing my my own uh fairy queen uh slash fiction in my head uh as i'm doing this this podcast which i really should not do we really should be be, be talking about uh the story here um so yes uh lady Britomart is is awesome but sadly we don't really get enough time with her um they they go into this castle uh, and and here we see some some more magic because um, the the wine has has gone sour and our heroes figure out how to unsour the no they make they make whiskey yes whiskey yep that's correct so I yeah. thought
3: it was I thought it was brandy was it brandy whiskey?
0: brandy was less darkness fall
3: oh oh that's right he 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 wishes. Whiskey into existence, and I remember thinking that if you were going to to wish liquor into existence, it would make more sense under the circumstances for it to be brandy um, rather than single malt single malt scotch.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I guess I guess you you can tell uh, what Elsberg de Comp story you're reading by what whiskey by by what uh, alcohol they're they're <laughs> drinking. I don't
2: first story I've ever read that has a proof. That's awesome. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, so uh, Reed, Reed Chalmers tries to do to, to do a spell to unsour the wine, but instead he creates uh, whiskey, um, uh, which which leads to a hilarious scene of everybody getting getting drunk and uh, Lady uh, Lady Britomart falling all over Harold and telling him, you know, it's really tough being a virtuous lady sometimes. I wish I could just let my hair down, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nobody appreciates me. You appreciate me. <laughs> I love you, man.
2: <laughs>
3: yeah. this, this, this sequence, I actually, I liked a fair bit. Uh, maybe because it's kind of a riff on uh, book, I want to say, nine of Lamorke D'Arthur.
0: Uh, we've, we've jumped from uh, book two to book to book nine.
3: Yeah, yeah, this is a, it's a different a different night and a different situation, but um you have the the magical uh item which reveals that all of the women are faithless.
0: Oh, it is, just is that a, a, the belt?
3: Cor- yeah, yeah, the belt. In the um in Arthur, it's I think a chalice that uh you can't drink from or maybe a horn, one of the two.
0: Yeah. So we. So, so the the next day, I think there there's a contest. I'm not sure if it's if it's inside the same castle or if it's somewhere else. Uh, but there's a there's a fighting tournament for the men, and there's a beauty contest for the ladies. Um, and there's all sorts of. It's it's kind of a scene right out of Game of Thrones, except not as many people get get killed. I think no one gets killed. Um, so it's not like Game of Thrones at all.
2: Um, no, probably one of the more softer chivalry type things where you got the, you know, you got the just on one side and you got the other thing on the other.
0: There's, there's people fighting over, over the virtue of ladies. And, um, and, uh, so the, the beauty contest ends with, uh, one of the women puts on a girdle, but it, it won't stay on. Uh, at, at some point, lady Flormel shows up, I, you I, but I, it's
2: not really her. Yeah. Yeah, it's a magical Simla yeah.
3: But she's still called Lady Flormel because they only have a, so many proper names for women to go around and yeah, you know, they got to double up like the Six Elaines in um Lamorte Arthur.
0: Yeah, I think I think I was uh I was I was not quite paying attention at this point in in the story cuz clearly lots of things were were happening and I'm not I'm not clear on the on the details. Um but the the contest is interrupted but somehow during this this, this this whole thing Reed Chalmers falls in love with Lady Floramel, even though he knows it's not the real Lady Florimel. Um,
3: even though she's a magical construct made out of snow yes does, does he fall
0: in love with the construct or does he fall in love with the real Lady Lady Florimel I, I couldn't tell he falls no, he, in
3: love with the construct not knowing that it's a construct but knowing that it's not the real Lady Florimel
0: I see Okay, do we do we ever find the real Lady Florimel in this story? No, or is, okay. she does
3: not. She does not. This, I believe, that this whole thing takes place between books six and seven of the Fairy Queen, and during that period, Florimel is missing.
0: Okay, so she is Lady not appearing. Uh, she's she's been, been been yeah. replaced by by a life model decoy, uh, which is another Marvel reference.
2: Uh, I prefer the term magical clone
0: two Marvel references in this podcast. Okay, moving on. Uh, so they decide, uh, Harold and and Reed had, had decide that um, the evil wizards from the Fairy Queen have formed a Legion of Doom and that's why all these, these bad things are happening and it's up to them to go find uh, the Legion of Doom and find their hidden castle uh, which I b- believe belongs to a guy named Rain. and uh p- Put a put a stop to all of these evil wizards. So they they, they go out uh, questing on their on their uh, horses uh, out into the into the uh, wilderness, and I believe they th- this is where they stumble across Belle Phoebe uh, who becomes Harold's uh, love love interest. Yep.
2: Hmm. Basically, the uh, fiery redhead of, of her of his dreams.
0: Yes. So she's uh she's basically a ranger. She comes out of the woods. She's got a she's got a bow and arrow. She's good at uh, uh, using it. Uh, for some reason, she speaks in a in a kind of kind of like a like a Highland uh, Irish style of of uh, speech. It, it's it's not like the rest of the characters in the book. I don't I don't think.
2: Uh, she's an Outlander, hmm? for all its purposes.
0: I think the good guys in this in, in the fairy queen are called the, the, the companions and, and she's one of the, one of the companions. But she's okay. she's basically a, a, a ranger. I I you know loved her cuz I you know I, I love uh fighting women. Um she doesn't hold a candle to uh uh, uh Britomart in in my opinion, but um you know whatever. Uh, and uh this this is also where the where the blatant beast appears um no the 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 blatant beast appears after we meet uh the evil wizard uh, Doral donal what's his name
2: does the name dolan ring a bell just yes the, dolan
0: uh who basically I thought of as looking like Joel brenner he's this he's this imposing bald guy I like the patter uh back and forth between our 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 hero our heroes and what's 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 the guy's name name again dolan dolan yeah i i like the pattern back and forth between our our heroes and uh dolan cuz dolan is very very uh pompous and uh harold and reed are trying to convince him that that they are also master master magicians but um i think i think at at one point uh harold says we we can't cast that spell cuz we don't have a <laughs> Yeah. And cool. and um Dolan can't admit that he doesn't know what that is so he's like, "Oh, I don't have one either cuz they all we 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 had a bad we we had a bad crop of them last le- last year." So uh.
3: <laughs> Book 18 <laughs> Book 18 chapter 21 there is a uh female character who is basically what if Robin Hood were a girl and uh Sir Thomas Mallory has her run on screen and then leave again. And she does not. Uh, she, shoots, she shoots and wounds Lancelot thinking he's a deer. And then <laughs> she vanishes from the narrative. And he does not actually give her a name, which is just par, par for the course with Sir Thomas Mallory and female characters. We, we can call her Elaine if you want.
0: <laughs> sure. sure. Why not? Um, I will call her Belle Phoebe.
3: Uh, yeah, you know, if I, had, uh, if I had it to do over again, maybe I would, I would be referring to her as Belle Phoebe because basically the same character, um, except, you know, shoots, shoots Lancelot in the butt. Mm-hmm.
0: But, as but, you should. The guy's a psycho. But can we agree that Belfebe is, is awesome?
2: Seemed pretty good to me. Absolutely.
0: Oh. Okay. So now we're talking about Dolan. Does, does, does Dolan correspond to, to anybody that you, that you know of, Jeff?
3: So here, so the thing is that uh, La Morte d'Arthur is really all of the uh the magic users except for Merlin are women um, there's some evil witches, and there is the one good sorceress um, <clears throat> and then there's merlin and uh, the, other than that there really there are no male magic users and wizards, so the whole thing with the the compact of uh, this new guild of calamitous intent that's being thrown together here is is something that's that is original to at least at least to the fairy queen, if not to uh the mathematics of magic.
0: I think yeah, I think was... the whole the whole guild idea was was uh the creation of uh DeCamp and, and Pratt. I think I think the, that is
3: that's the impression that I got too I think yeah.
0: he's he's taking all the all the villainous wizards from throughout the Fairy Queen and finishing the Fairy Queen by saying, well, all the bad guys teamed up and all the good guys uh, stormed the castle to defeat them.
2: The end. So in yeah. short, the evil wizards unionized. Mm-hmm. I like
0: that. Yeah, and there's...
3: also, I think, yeah, sorry. No, I was going to say, there's a, there's a half dozen uh, sorceresses and enchantresses mm-hmm. who all seem to be friends with Morgan Le Fay and uh, La Mort d'Arthur, but they're, they're, they're certainly never teaming up in this manner.
0: They're a, they're, they're a clique. What, what were you, you going to say, Chris?
2: Well, I just think it's hilarious that right in the middle of the wizard thing, that's when Chalmers is responsible for the Platinum Beast. Basically, the spell goes wrong, and he's actually responsible for the creation of the sucker.
0: Yes, so there. I think he's trying to summon a bird to impress uh, uh, Dolan, and he instead summons the the blatant beast, uh, which which I assume was just something something out of uh, Spencer's fifth. Uh, Fairy Queen, it's the, it's the kind of monster a poet would create, because it's, it's a monster mm-hmm. that basically feeds on poems. So yeah. that makes sense.
2: Well, I don't know much about historian thing, but it almost reminds me of the Questing Beast in a lot of ways, just from the, kind of maybe just the alliteration or something. Yeah. But,
3: well, the Questing yeah, Beast doesn't like, talk. Yeah. Uh, the Questing Beast makes a sound like 40 horses. Okay. But it doesn't talk. Okay.
0: Okay. I know nothing yes. about the questing beast.
3: It makes a sound like 40 horses, and it looks like something that makes a sound like 40 horses.
2: Well, I always think about King Pellinor basically chasing the darn thing.
3: <gasps> oh, that jerk, King Pellinor. <laughs> so anyways, <laughs> oh, uh,
0: the, the blatant beast appears and uh, demands a, a poem, and uh, Chalmers uh, tries some um, uh, Sullivan... He tries Gilbert some, and Sullivan. Yeah. Uh Chalmers tries some, some Gilbert and, and Sullivan, but he can't remember remember the, the the whole thing. And so uh Shay busts out a dirty limerick. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: nice. Except
0: except it, it's it's not a dirty limerick, it's it's a dirty like tavern song with like fifteen verses. <laughs> Uh, and he he has to do this right in front of Bell Phoebe, who's the lady that he is trying to impress, uh, and it it's it's so uh, dirty that that the that 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 the blatant beast uh, runs off in em- embarrassment. Um, and luckily, uh, Bell Phoebe has no idea what Harold J was talking about. Uh, she she right, thinks. I think
3: because it, you know because good, good girls just don't have that vocabulary.
0: Right. She she thinks it's a it's a poem uh, wherein uh, a a uh, female uh, warrior uh, battled with a, a uh, male male knight. And Harold Shay so, is like, yes, that's exactly what it was about. No further yeah. questions.
2: Exactly. Just grin and nod. Grin yes. and nod.
0: Yes. Um, I thought that was funny. I don't know about you guys. That um, yeah, was good. They proceed to the castle where they are introduced to all of the other uh, evil wizards. It seems like there's... Basically, an evil wizard uh, convention going on. There's, there's at at one point where they, um, where they read the minutes of, of the last meeting, and they, and, and they're like, so and so is going to give a speech on what he's discovered this year about whatever. It's it's kind of like ho, a,
2: the social commentary and satire. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, we had no like, game cons are like foreshadowing.
0: Well, it, it's 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 like a scientific uh, sim. sim yes, it's sim. it's like an
2: academic
3: conference.
0: Yes, yeah. but in the in the magical world. Um, and there's there's a bit of drama where uh Harold becomes concerned that uh, Reed is being taken in by these by these guys uh that that he's that he's be, be becoming too too chummy with the with the evil wizard. Uh Reed wants to somehow turn uh the the uh, snow construct lady lady formel into into a real person cuz he's in love w- with her. Uh meanwhile Harold wants to escape and tell the heroes where the evil castle is so that they can defeat the bad guys and he's he's worried that uh reed doesn't have his have his head head in the game.
2: With your typical temptation story. Which side are you on?
0: Yeah so there's there's some there's some trouble in uh romance land, basically. Um, but it it all gets gets resolved in the in the end, um Harold uh sneaks out and is able to, to get a message to Bel who's able to get a message to uh, the rest of the companions—they uh, storm the castle. There is a giant battle. This is this is where uh, Reed uh, busts out his his magic uh, strangling hands.
3: Yeah, the, his he casts Bigby's Bigby's hands. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Um, I feel like we're skipping over lots of lots of good stuff. I seem to remember there there's a there's... part where uh, Harold cuts through a thing that seems a lot like Shelob's web with a thing that seems a lot like a flaming sword. Well, there's a bit where he
3: cuts through some spider webs with a flaming sword. Yeah, um, which I did. I didn't really make the connection to uh, Tolkien, although. Well, no, this would predate uh, Tolkien. Yeah. So either Tolkien was ripping off of this, which I kind of doubt, or they're both pulling from some kind of folklore antecedent where a knight is cutting through cobwebs, which I don't recall ever happening in Le d'Arthur, at least. Or
0: it could just be that spiders and cobwebs are common to stories and they both happen to show up in these stories. Mm. Sure, sure. Mm
2: -hmm. I got a strange question. Mm
0: -hmm. Did we ever
2: get a visual of what the best, the blatant beast was supposed to look like? I
0: pictured a big, a big lion or sphinx type of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah.
3: I too was picturing something like that.
0: I, okay. I, I assume it's something out of the *Fairy Queen*. So, if you read *Spencer's*, Spencer's *Fairy Queen*, um, you'll you'll find out all that you want to know about about the Blatant Beast.
3: Well, not necessarily, but you'll you'll get some information at least. You <laughs> sure. may it may tra- it may you may find out that the Blatant Beast makes a sound like forty horses and is not otherwise described.
0: Yep. I'm I'm surprised that the Blatant Beast hasn't been uh, st- st- statted up in a in a in a monster manual.
3: Name's probably too silly. Mm-hmm.
0: Come on, it's it's not sillier yeah. than Owl Bear.
3: You think there's something silly about owl bears, man? They have red rimmed eyes. Actually, here Wait, in, this, give in this
0: in this story, I think we get our first example of a wizard did it. Because one of the first things that Reed does when he gets in, 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 into this world is he gives a cat wings.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. I That's that.
3: actually something that I, that I enjoyed about the mathematics of magic over the Roaring Trumpet is that it's at least possible to screw magic up, uh, which explains partly why people aren't just crazily experimenting with it all the time. Um, I guess the other explanation for why people aren't crazily experimenting with it all the time is because they're not doing that in The Fairy Queen. And this is, you know, it, it follows narrative convention rather than logical convention.
0: Well, yeah. also we, we, we find out that some spells need things like, like blood magic or, or blood, blood sacrifices. Because I think, I think the, the, the reason the cabal of evil wizards is short on money uh, is they, they well, they've, they've been researching how to magically cr- create money and it, it, it involves uh, sacrificing children, I think.
2: Yeah, kind of a step too far, at least short term.
3: Yeah, and th- there is certainly a lot that we're skipping over in the mathematics. Yeah, like
2: mathematics. the wyverns.
3: Yeah, there's the wyverns. There's um, there's a druid that shows up, and with like some, some basically orcs um, who are who are the pretty much the, I think the most orky kind of thing that we've seen up to this point,
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, because they're eating them might be cannibalism, but they're also definitely inhuman.
0: Yeah, the, so the, the lothals. Yeah. Or yeah. the or the Lozals.
2: I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> In the kitchen scene with the imps and hobgoblins bearing spits, knives, and rolling pins.
0: Yeah. So this, I mean, this story is is pretty darn darn packed with with action and and adventure. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't uh, certainly wasn't wasn't boring. And I I thought I saw lots of things in here that uh, paralleled how how uh, things in D and D work or were intended to work by by uh, guygax. Um, I forget how Harold gets sent home this time.
2: They're basically blasted back to the mundane world by an attack of a surviving magician. Okay. So basically, zapped, Basically, a wizard
0: did it. Okay. I think. I think. Uh, Reed. Uh. <coughs> I think I think Reed, uh, cre- creates a spell or or, or something that that uh, backfires. But uh, so yeah, so the the story ends with this uh, with this big uh, battle where uh, the champions are storming the castle. Uh, there's there's Bigby's hands flying uh, everywhere. Uh, Harold is fencing with uh, the bad guy. Oh, we we we, we haven't even. Uh, Discuss Harold's skill with with uh, fencing. Is is that something that that we need to need to go over? That's up to you. It's awfully convenient. <laughs> ah, plot device. Oh, actually, no. This was something that I that
3: bothered <laughs> me at the time. Um, not only is he skilled at wielding a sword, but his his him and his little fencing sword are just straight up technologically superior to the crazy heavy. Gigantic sword-shaped sledgehammers that the knights uh, in the story are constantly wielding, and this this may be um, an origin of the like forty-pound two-handed swords that get written up in the equipment lists in Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, I mean heavy weapons.
0: I think I think the 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 idea here is that fencing is a is a science, and and. Therefore it's somehow superior to the to the not sciency fighting styles of these backwoods ruffians. I mean there were there was a similar it's thing It's also a
3: sport based on getting points. So
0: I mean there was yeah. there was a similar thing in um Oh, what's the what's the world inside the world
3: uh, Pellucidar, yes, the, like the, sci- the scientific
2: principles of boxing.
0: Yes, yes. So, right, like,
2: right. I remember that.
3: Yeah, the sweet science.
0: Yes, be- because David Innes knew the scientific principles of boxing, he could just whoop the whoop the pants off these uh, cavemen who didn't have any principles.
2: Well, no it's a bit pr- of kinetic kinetic yanking. King Arthur's court, where the guy who the outsider ends up becoming the great savior.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's the same old, same old. Where some foreigner knows better.
0: But my yeah. question is, if matches don't work in the in the Norse world because they are science, how come, how come fencing how is it, works? Fencing
3: works, yeah.
0: Because fencing is science, at least according to these the these guys. But
3: It's a fair question, I think. Um, it is. Yeah. It's,
0: it is. A,
2: it's, a, it's a weak point. Yeah, I think fact. it's basically just they haven't figured out the rules in the first book and they're starting to quantify it as time progresses. I'm sure if we read the next story, we'd have a similar effect. Oh, they're starting to finally figure out what they want to do with it.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: I mean, narratively, they need Harold uh, to be good at fencing so that he's not just a complete waste of space. Because you know, he don't, he's not. Because Chalmers has the good at magic already mm-hmm. uh, mapped out. So what is what what is there for for Harold but fencing? Yeah? yeah, I
0: mean, Chalmers figured out magic uh, while living in the real world, where there where there is no is no magic. So he's like, how can how can you beat beat that? All right, so the story ends with uh, Harold uh, getting sent home. Uh, once again, I think a spell backfires or something. Uh, yeah. And Belfebe gets sent back to the real world with him, uh, while Reed Chalmers stays in the Fairy Queen.
3: Yeah, and I um, at least flipped ahead into the Castle of Iron, and she apparently recurs there, so yeah. uh, she's a, an additional party member. Mm-hmm. Phoebe has joined the fight. Oh,
0: the right the... the, the... Iron fortress is, is is awesome spoilers for the for the Iron fortress they they, they, they travel to um, a a different epic poem um, not not Lamor to Arthur but a different epic poem that was supposedly the inspiration for Spencer's fairy Queen. so so not only can you can you travel into into books but you can travel into different versions of the same book and they are they are different worlds hmm
2: Interesting.
0: Which is which is super nerdy and and awesome.
2: What about okay, now we've looked over both of these stories for the most part, uh, how do they connect to D D? Well, I'd say that there's a
3: lot of uh, like little details from these stories that found their way into the default setting of D D. Um you know, things like your hill giants and fire giants and frost giants and um the 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 very heavy melee weapons um just name a couple of examples but the big thing that these stories like bring to the table is that uh you have modern men going into the world of fantasy Mm -hmm. which is again you know something Gygax was just really not into and there's not any support for it in D&D? So there's at least one aspect of these stories that's consciously rejected by Dungeons and Dragons. I think
0: could be. Uh, I think I think here we we get get the the idea that that magic has rules. Magic sort of works like a like a science. Um, I don't I don't think this is the first or or only story where that where that where that 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 happens, uh, but. Uh, we we see these these authors trying to make up laws that that govern how magic works, and then then try to apply these these laws in their uh, stories. Um, we see we see lots of magical effects that that later show up in in D and D, like again uh, Bigby's Bigby's hand, and exactly, exactly. I think I think one of one of the wizards has an imp uh, familiar, um, summoning monsters is is here. Uh, you know, uh, wizards uh, accidentally creating uh, monsters that, that are, are hybrids of two creatures and and letting them loose into the world.
2: So a lot of little things. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as for the other stuff here, I would say one of the things I got a kick out of is, of course, the Nordic influences that came from the story, like the
0: mm-hmm.
2: use of both the Frost Giants and the Fire Giants, which had almost a gorilla-like nature, the use of the Hammer Thunderbolts, and the Girdle of Giant strength.
3: Here. Yeah, I mean, those well, those are based on, you know, magical artifacts that are described in the Prose Edda too, but it certainly, it, it comes refracted through this lens, I guess.
0: I think here, here we, we see just, just how, how easy it is to in, insert your, your own characters into, into things like pre-existing mythology and, and, and pre-existing fiction. And you can, I mean, it, it basically shows that, that you can do Dungeons & Dragons pretty much anywhere that there's, that there's magic and, and, uh, and monsters. Okay. Uh, I, I think it, you know, the, the, it, it, it would be an, an interesting uh, tack-on module for 5th uh, Edition, since 5th Edition is supposed to be the version that, 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 that is full of uh, tack-on uh, modules where you, you can play modern people. Who get trapped in a in a fantasy world, and you you, you start out with skills like you know automobile driving and uh, modern sci- psychiatry, and you have to figure out how to somehow survive in a world where matches don't don't light, and 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 you have you have to learn learn magic from 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 the ground up.
3: Yeah, the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court is. A, an archetype that recurs enough times in these stories that it really is kind of surprising that there's not more support for it in Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, mm-hmm. as written.
2: I agree completely. Like probably the most blatant one is of course the D and D cartoon, but you'd think that there'd be a lot more of this fish out of water context. You're taking somebody from outside yeah. the world. And here's how the mechanics would affect it.
0: All right, so if if some uh, third party uh, game designer is listening. Uh, build a build a game that supports these kind of stories and uh, put it uh, put it on the on the Dungeons Masters Guild or put it on Drive Through RPG and uh, maybe you'll maybe you'll find that niche niche market. All right, uh, I believe we've reached the end of our discussion. Does anyone have any final comments on the mathematics of magic? <laughs>
2: Well, I'll give him credit where credit is due. The more we talked about it, the more this book interests me ultimately. Like, the second story I kind of glossed over to some degree, you know, just sort of faded out. But once you start bringing up these different tales, it really started showing this is kind of fun. Now I see why you have a love of this thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I, I invited you to change my mind on it, and you may well have. Uh, what I actually have is a copy of The Complete Enchanter, which includes, um, you know, the those sequel stories you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And um, I... At the t- when I finished The Mathematics of Magic, I was like, well, I can tell you I'm not going to read Castle of Iron. And now maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking maybe I want to. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. All right. All right. Uh, I, th- I believe it's time that we signed off. Uh, Chris, where on the Internet can people find you? Well,
2: I'm still on www.drevrpg.com. I'm actually working on putting these books on drive-through RPG, and they should be up later this month, maybe even the beginning of January. Uh, I just finished getting a book out, The Surreal of the Lost Fails for the GM's Guild. In fact, I just finished my second project for it, which is called The Minotaurs of the Stone Lands, where I take try to put minotaurs in their own unique light within the Stone Lands territory in the Cormier area. Huh. So I'll let you know more details as things come out. Otherwise, sounds,
0: yeah. sounds exciting. I like, I like uh, Minotaurs. Right
2: on. And other than that, I've been co-hosting uh, RPG Circus with Jeff. We just came out last week with an episode on generic systems.
0: Awesome. All right. Uh, Jeff Wickstrom, where on the interwebs can people find you?
3: I am still located at jeffwick.com. Um, I also recently uh, guest-hosted on an episode of Hold My Order, Terrible Dresser, the deep-dive 1970s-1980s WKRP historical commentary podcast.
2: Okay, so now you've my curiosity immensely. Hold
3: My up. Order, Terrible Dresser. If you Google it, you will find it. Oh, yes.
0: You can find me, Jeffrey Wynn, on Twitter at Jeffrey D. Wynn. That's G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-D-W-I-N-N. And I'm also on Instagram with the same handle. You can email me by emailing thetomeshow at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Make sure to put Appendix N in the subject line so they get it right to me. This is probably coming out after the Christmas holiday, so if you got a whole bunch of cash or gift cards for Christmas or Hanukkah, why not spend them at our sponsor, OpenGamingStore.com. Or if you'd like to send some money our way, we'd appreciate it. Please use The Tome Show's Amazon affiliate links on our website, thetomeshow.com. Anytime you shop on Amazon, whether you're buying books or sneakers or vacuum cleaners, we get a small cut that helps pay for our expenses. Our very next show, coming to you sometime in January, will cover two more stories about Fofford and the Gray Mauser by Fritz Leiber. These stories are The Sunken Land and Thieves' Gambit. The next show after that will be a follow-up to The Mathematics of Magic. We will be discussing The Castle of Iron by L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt in February. Go out and read those stories now, maybe purchasing them using our Amazon affiliate link so that you can be a part of the discussion. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 37, The Mathematics of Magic by L. Sprague de Camp and Fletcher Pratt. Thanks for listening.
2: Our friends. friends. Ouch. Ouch.